Welcome to Avatar with Academics. My name is Sam Mulberry, and I have never watched Avatar The Last Airbender. And I'm Annie Berglund, and I have watched it before. Annie, I feel like we have made it to a sort of milestone moment uh, in the show. Yes. Everybody says the sort of the, the back half of season two from there, it just like post Avatar Day, it's just amazing. Yeah. And I got to tell you, I feel like Zuko alone is the beginning of amazing. Absolutely. But I'm also, I, I have, I'm like, I'm nervous about this episode. Mm. And let me explain why. I'm nervous because I love it and because it's great. And I think I've never seen a list of people saying what are the greatest episodes, but I feel like this one could be in the running. I don't mean, maybe it just, just gets better and better from here, but I, I particularly love this episode and I just don't want to get it wrong. Yeah, no, I get that. I feel like it's similar to Blue Spirit too, where it's like, it shifts season one a mm-hmm. lot. Mm-hmm. And this too, where it's like, in the blue spirit, we we learn a little bit about Zuko, and we want to learn so much more. And here, I think we finally get some answers to who Zuko is. We get answers, and quite frankly, we get tons of questions, yeah. too. Yeah. You can do it. Yeah, you, yeah. You'll oh, do great. I'm excited. I got lots of notes. <laughs> I got lots of thoughts. Um, now, I think before jumping into the summary, mm. um, I, I want to do something. That, I want to talk about a, a theme or a model for this before we get into the summary. So you and I, we've been talking about Westerns. Yes. Um, and we had, you know, in uh, The Warriors of Kiyoshi, one of the first episodes, there is this sort of moment where it shifts to Western yeah. sort of shootout feel. This one is so explicitly shot as a Western. Right. Um, and so you and I went earlier this week, we're talking about the Westerns that are the model for, mm. um, for this. And, and it seems like there are, there are, this, this fits a type of a Western about sort of the, the kind of lone gunman who comes into town and, you know, uh, helps the people out, settles a score and rides off into the sunset. Yep. Um, and, and there are lots of movies that, that fit this model. Um, but do we want, do you want to talk about, I mean, cause there is sort of a, a, it's probably not even the original text, but there is a, a very famous movie that then gets sort of remade. Right. Right. Um, so I watched this in college, uh, in, in Dr. Koistra's history of the American West and it's Shane. And so when we had talked earlier, you mentioned Pale Rider, mm-hmm. which I think more people tend to have seen, maybe. It's- yeah, I would say, I mean, Sh- Shane is, a, is an absolute American classic. It's on the AFI list. Mm. Uh, but, uh, I mean, Pale Rider is is a, a remake of, of Shane. Really. Much more recent, though, now, of course, dated. But- <laughs> 1985 recent, yeah. <laughs> but Shane came out, I think, in the 50s. Yeah. And I think it's, I might be wrong, I think it's based on a book. Yes. Uh, of the same name. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, it's that it's that classic western of like the guy rolls into town on his horse and he's like dealing with his own woes and he's kind of like an independent actor but then he starts to like develop a relationship with the community or with uh, in this case it was a family. So it's mm-hmm. exactly what we'll see with Zuko. Um, have you seen either? Of, you've seen Pale Rider? I've seen Pale Rider. I read the recap of Shane. I also read a recap of an, a 1970s Clint Eastwood movie called High Plains Drifter, which also oh. it seems like it's this another version of this same story, um, maybe dark in a kind of way. I know that High Plains Drifter has a few flashback scenes, and we're going to see that in here. Yeah. Um, these stories often have the the sort of person is a, a man without a name. So this is mm. important here that for much of this episode, we're going to see Zuko is a man without a name. Yes. 
Yes, and it's not until his identity is revealed at the end. Right. And then we also see a relationship with a child, mm-hmm. right? I think which is in, key in Shane. Yep, and it's it's the it's the most memorable thing in Shane is this relationship. Um and then uh in in Pale Rider, I think it's a young woman. I think right. it, it shifts that way. So Yeah. Should I I mean I can give a little bit of a summary of Shane if we yeah, want dude, to before. That would be great. Actually like I said, we're doing this episode a little different because I want to get this out there because it this is definitely such a source text. Right. So um Shane is a stranger kind of cowboy who who shows up at this farmstead uh where they offer to let him stay and he he works on the farm which we'll see Zuko does as well mm-hmm. he does a task for the farm uh in exchange for having a place to stay but uh there's a kid on the farm who befriends Shane looks up to him kind of sees him as a hero so they start hanging out and i think at first it might be like a oh you're just a little kid following me around mm-hmm. but at some point he does take on kind of a mentor role and uh, so Shane even teaches the boy how to shoot a gun. And uh, then Shane gets into a fight in town. And it's with these cattle baron, cattle ranchers, I guess, mm-hmm. who also were harassing the family that he was loyal to at this point, the family that's housing him. And so uh, it ends with this epic battle between Shane and these cattle ranchers. Um, and he, he eventually leaves the town um, and he chooses to leave. And so one of the final shots is the the boy who shouts after him, Shane, like Shane, don't leave or what? Mm-hmm. I don't remember. Shane, they... come back. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's it's AFI when they did like their most famous movie lines. That was one of them, right? Exactly. So so, so we want to have that in our head as we go through this episode because it's going to be impossible to always point out. Oh, here's an echo of Shane. Like this is uh, in the same way we talked about monomyth with uh joseph campbell it's like this is one of the western myths right like Mm. you know and and it's just told over and over in different kinds of ways so it's really interesting that clearly in the writer's room they said we're gonna do our shane or our pale rider we're gonna do or our high plains drifter we're doing that and we're gonna cast zuko in it so Mm -hmm. uh I just want to have that out in front of us uh, as we go. So, with that being said, let's dive into uh, let's dive into our summary for this week. Sounds good. All right. So the show, the episode opens with Zuko riding his ostrich horse, uh, and I feel really good that later in the episode, it's just going to get referred to as an ostrich horse, but that's <laughs> yeah. what it's called. So, um, through the uh, desert, desolate desert landscape, a very old west, old west kind of music, mm-hmm. um, and you know, and and it has both an old west feel and a samurai feel, which uh, in the history of film, those things speak to each other. A lot of things like uh, Akira Kurosawa movies become westerns. Mm. So the Seven Samurai becomes the Magnificent Seven. So there's a lot of conversate cultural conversation between uh, a samurai movie, a samurai story, and a western story. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are sort of built into that. Uh, we see the horse uh, kind of start to waver. Um, they've been riding for a long time. They near they cross this sort of uh, rickety wooden bridge over a gulch and they almost fall in as the bridge kind of starts to, to break apart. Um, we see Zuko smell something uh, and he looks down and sees this couple cooking food over a campfire. Uh, and we see him sort of grab his stomach in hunger, right? So it's clear mm-hmm. he hasn't eaten in a long time. Uh, and as he's watching them, we see him kind of reach for his sword, almost like fingering the hilt of his sword. Right. Or the, yeah. Like he's going to go into the blue spirit mode. <laughs> exactly, right? 
Um, but then as he looks down, he sees that the woman in this couple uh, is an Earth Kingdom woman who's pregnant. And we see, you know, she's sort of resting under this tree and he kind of releases his sword and uh, and moves away from it. Right. So which yeah. is interesting because we know that he is capable of yes. theft. He's willing to do it. He did. I mean, I think this couple mirrors the couple from two episodes ago where we saw him. Just flat out rob these people. And... In the middle of the day in the marketplace. Yeah. And it didn't seem like it's different than the guy with the, the chest of golden coins. <laughs> this is this is was just like these people carrying these barrels of produce and, he's, and he steals them. So we know he's willing to do that. But here we're starting to see there's something else. Yeah. I think uh, really imp- to, it's important to track the mother figures yeah, I was gonna in this say, story as well. Uh, what does a pregnant woman become? She becomes a mother. And, and this is absolutely an episode about mothers. So that's there's no mistake that we put that in there. Um, so we see he continues to ride on. We see him drink the last of his water. The landscape he's riding through is littered with these these things we've seen, these stone discs with kind of square yeah, holes in them. it seems to be kind of like the symbol of the Earth Kingdom. Yeah, right? yeah. And so I... And I've been thinking about this for a long time because we've been looking at these for several episodes. And I was sort of, I started to do some Google searches. I'm like, does that symbol mean mm. anything? So I ended up going to a lot of websites that were labeled sacred geometry. Oh. And I don't know what to make of any of that. But um, uh, what I found in terms of what circles and squares mean in the world of sacred geometry, the circle is, I mean, obviously is the symbol of infinity, the symbol mm. of eternity, the symbol of perfection. It is the symbol for God. Or maybe we could say the spirit world, okay. right? And the square is the symbol of Earth. Oh, you know, um, so so oh, I love that. So actually, I mean, that symbol makes perfect sense to be yes. everywhere in the Earth Kingdom. And you think about the symbol we saw for the Water Kingdom too, and that was very much a spiritual and physical element combined in one. Like mm-hmm. I think it was the moon and then the waves. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So so that. I'm certain that that there is something to do with that because you can't find an Earth Kingdom place that doesn't have these. Oh, I love that. So, um, so we see he's riding through this landscape. We see himself start to waver on the horse. His eyes are kind of starting to blur. It seems like he's going to pass out. Uh, and then it's like he blacks out for a moment. And we see in his blackout this kind of fleeting image of a Fire Nation woman of some kind who kind of recedes away from him. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's like he's she's walking away into the darkness. Um, and then at this point, Zuko reaches a ridge that overlooks a small village. So he has he has reached the village that our, our cowboy is going to ride into. Mm-hmm. Um, so we cut into the village, and it looks like an Old West kind of mining town. There's a water tower at the center. It, this is not a... This is a... a, a this is not a village that is like highly developed. We've been to cities, things like this. This is pretty rustic. It almost looks like ghost town, like despite a couple people being in the streets. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so we see a group of men who are gambling on on a game of dice. And at this point, we're about three minutes into the episode and a word has not been spoken yet. The gamblers are the first people who say a yes, word. Yes, I noticed that too. It, I love that they started out so silent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's amazing. It also shows how much story they can tell right. without 
saying anything. And this isn't the per- first time the writers have pushed the boundaries on this too. Like we've seen when it's Appa and Momo together and there's mm-hmm. silence or there's like animal grunt sounds, mm-hmm. but you can still, there's so much feeling and emotion in it. Absolutely, right? So Zuko rides into town and we see the gambler sort of turn and seize him up or size him up, sorry. Can I just say that even him walking into town is so Western because it's not even a shot of the back of him. It's the hooves or the feet, yep. I guess, of the ostrich horse, like from ground level. Level and the dust kicking up mm-hmm. as he like walks down this lone street. And, and as he dismounts, we see his boots hit the ground. I mean, yeah, it's there. There, there's so many tropes that if we if Man. we only leaned on westerns, we would run out of time. <laughs> um, so they're sizing him up. Uh, and Zuko asks the shopkeeper for a bag of feed, water, and something hot to eat. And he sort of holds out his hand with a few coins in it. And the shopkeeper tells him that he doesn't have enough money for a hot meal, but he could get two bags of feed. Which is this, it, it's a subtle moment, but it's a moment of like, how desperate are you? Like, mm. are, are you now willing to eat the same thing your horse eats? Yep. You know, because that's all that he can afford. So then we see two little kids who are hiding behind the, the shop, kind of sneak out from behind the stand, and they throw an egg at the gamblers. And then the kids run off. And the gamblers turn around, and the only person they see there is Zuko, so they assume he did it, and they confront him. Uh, and the leader of this group has these two giant, like, hammers of Thor kind of <laughs> hammers hanging from his belt. Um, and he asks Zuko a bunch of questions, and Zuko just gives these one-word responses, like, no, no. You know, mm-hmm. like, he's not um, he's not really engaging them. But he, it's important that he doesn't rat out the kids. He doesn't say anything about them. Um, so he starts uh, to grab his sword, kind of, again, like, like fingering the 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 pommel of his of his sword, like a gunfighter would, like kind of showing yep. his gun to say, "I'm ready to throw down uh, at any point if I need to." Uh, and the the leader of the gamblers says, "Well, the egg had to come from somewhere." And Zuko says, "Well, maybe a chicken flew over." And this gets a laugh out of one of the gamblers, which is again I like because it's reminding us this is Avatar. This is a kid's show. This isn't uh, – we can have these sort of light moments. And it's just funny that one of the, one of the, one of the little side people just starts to laugh. It's like, yeah, it's a good joke. And, and, and you know, it's like kind of not appropriate in the moment. And I, I really loved that. Um, at this point, uh, the shopkeeper brings out the two bags of feed. And we see the, the leader of this group walk up and just take the bags um, mm-hmm. that were, were there for Zuko. And he says, thanks for your contribution. The army appreciates your support. You better leave town. Penalty for staying is a lot more than you can afford. Trust me. And he sort of pats the hammers on his belt like he's sort of showing his pistols as well. Uh, And as they walk away, uh, the shopkeeper says to Zuko, those soldiers are supposed to protect us from the Fire Nation, but they're just a bunch of thugs. So we have the cattle ranchers harassing the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is this is also a big theme in the West that there's this blurry line between law and outlaw. Mm-hmm. You know that you have the the sheriff sometimes in these stories who runs the town is you know theoretically the law, but they're crooked. You yeah, know, or the or the the people who run the city are crooked, and there's this. I mean, that's such a common theme. Oh yeah, so, and so the, that gets laid out here as well. Yeah, and that that the outlaw is the one that reinstates justice. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so then the kid who threw the eggs shows back up and says, and basically thanks him for not ratting him out. And Zuko says nothing, right? And he prepares to ride off, but the kid keeps following him. He says, "I'll take you to my house." And feed uh, feed your ostrich horse for you. He says, come on, I owe you. 
And he grabs the bridle of Zuko's horse and starts leading him. And we see Zuko kind of grab his stomach in hunger again. So what's interesting is Zuko had been prepared to just leave. And he's he is letting this kid lead him away, lead him home. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then we cut to a farm, which is full of animals. Um, I saw sheep pigs. I saw cow pigs. I saw a rooster pig. And they're all oinking. So this is like, it's like a, a uh, pig farm, but they're all hybrids. Yeah. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Like we hadn't seen this yet. I kind of loved it. Yeah. No, we haven't seen like domesticated kind of animals. Right. And it's like, do they breed them this way? <laughs> and they all seem to like interact together. So like you see the, the sheep pig and the cow pig hanging out together. So it's not yeah. like they're separated. Farm animal friends. I guess so. Right. Uh, and the kid comments on the noise and says, well, no one can sneak up on us. And Zuko sort of laughs and says, you know, no kidding. And so it's interesting. He's, you can tell he's starting to warm up to the kid. Right. I mean, no longer the like one word answers. Exactly. Right. Um, and the, the father approaches uh, and and he asks, you know, are you Lee's friend? So Lee is the kid. Can I pause here Please and just do. say I really think it's important that his name is Lee and that was Zuko's fake name in the first episode of season two with Song's family. Or are, second episode. Yes. Are you pointing to the fact that maybe there's going to be some doubling of characters in this episode? There's so many, so especially many. as both are the role of son. Mm-hmm. I think it's very important. Mm-hmm. So, so let's look for some Lee Zuko doubling uh, in this because it's going to be there. Uh, and Lee says uh, this guy stood up to the soldiers by the end he practically had them running away now this is not true <laughs> at <Yeah>. all <laughs> but Zuko doesn't correct him he's like right. not sure <laughs> right so we're already starting to build sort of the, the myth of Zuko uh, and the mother comes out and says does this guy have a name and we see Zuko start to kind of fumble with what to say because let's remember Zuko is actually an outlaw, right? right? Zuko is a wanted man. And royalty, so his name goes a long way. Exactly. Uh, and the father cuts her off and says, he doesn't have to say who he is if he doesn't want to, Sela. So again, here we have the man without a name trope, mm. right? Uh, and Zuko isn't going to tell his name. Father says, anyone who can hold his own against those bully soldiers is welcome here. Those men should be ashamed to wear Earth Kingdom uniforms. And Sela says, the real soldiers are off fighting the war, like Lee's big brother, Sen Su. She offers supper, uh, but Zuko declines. And Sela says, Gansu could use some help on the barn. Why don't you two work a while and then we'll eat? Yep. So this family is sort of there wrapping their arms around Zuko, even though that's not necessarily what he's looking for or interested in. And is that, I mean... We talk about culture a lot. I feel like that's a thing in the Earth Kingdom, like with Song's family. and They sure seem to want to feed you I think maybe and care it, for you. It's because like it is such an area wrought with refugees. Mm-hmm. You know that like taking them in, being hospitable, maybe that's a part of just being a good person. Absolutely. Because you know, you know what, if we don't help this person, they're going to die because there isn't that we're not living in a place of plenty. Mm-hmm. So uh, we cut to uh, Gansu, the, the father, and Zuko on the roof of the barn, and they're nailing down roof boards. And it's really important. They don't mention this, but Zuko is terrible at it. 
I, I counted eight bent nails in the one board he keeps hammering. I mean, the boy's a prince. Like, I right. don't know that he's doing much of this ever. So it's so funny that it's like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to like kind of earn my keep here. And he's, <laughs> and they're just humoring him. Now, I also need to say, did you notice the sound of the hammers? No. It's great. It's <laughs> this like, these are wooden, what they're, the, 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 the roof shingles they're putting up are, they're wood. Mm. But the sound is just this great metal on metal sound. It sounds very video game-ish. I couldn't like place cl- it anywhere. clanking kind of? Yeah, or? I loved it. Every time I watched this episode multiple times and every time it got to that, I just thought, what a weird sound choice. But Ooh, I kind of loved it. I feel like but I'd be into that. Go back and listen to it because it, it's like weird metal on metal, which is like, just not what hammering nails sounds like. Okay, yeah. I think I'd like this. Um, so as they're doing this, Lee sort of pops up on the ladder uh, and says, uh, you don't seem like you're from around here. And Zuko kind of grunts. So Lee says, well, where are you from then? And Zuko says, far away. So again, he doesn't want to talk. Lee says, oh, well, where are you going? <laughs> and uh, his father pops up and says, Lee, give it a rest. Stop asking the man personal questions. Got it? And Lee says, yes. So how'd you get the scar? The most personal question he could have ever asked. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, and we see Zuko sort of hammer his thumb. Uh, and Gansu says, uh, it's not nice to bother people about things they might not want to talk about. The man's past is his business. Now, this is also uh, something, I don't know if this is in Shame, but this is definitely something in Pale Rider. Mm. That we don't see flashbacks in Pale Rider, but we do see... Uh, that the preacher, who is the man without a name, has uh, gunshot wounds on his back. Mm. So he carries this scar of his past. Uh-huh. So it's like this is another like reference to those things. And there very well may be something like that in Shane. I just haven't seen Shane. I haven't seen it in a long time. I'm yeah. going to look after this. Though. Yeah. So, um, so we, you know, we get this talk about, you know, not wanting to talk about his past. His past is his business. And here we get the first big flashback. And this is going to be an episode full of flash like awesome flashbacks and it's like it leaves you wanting both stories more of both stories mm-hmm. the current story and then whatever's going on in the and past. i think both stories feel like they're about a half an hour long yeah even though this is a 24 minute episode yes so we flash back uh and we see a fire nation woman's hand sort of threading through uh a pond of water and we see a turtle duck oh they're I, so cute. I, I can't remember if you or Mike mentioned turtle ducks at some point, And I was like, I don't know what that is. I think we did when we watched the last Airbender movie. That could be. And we were like, where are the turtle ducks? And I have to say, I am not, um, I'm not somebody who's always like smitten with the animals. Like, oh, it's like, these are the cutest thing in the world. Oh. I actually want to own a pond full of turtle ducks. Yes, they're so small. It's just the animation is perfect. They're they're amazing. So we see these turtle ducklings uh, swim up and eat bre- a bread right from her hand. Um, and we pull back and see this sort of idyllic sepia-toned scene of a woman and her son sitting on the edge of a pond in a lavish courtyard. And we see that the boy is young Zuko. No He's, scar. Yeah, he says, hey, mom... Want to see how Azula feeds turtle ducks? And we see him throw a whole bread roll at one of the ducklings. I was mad. <laughs> Were you? Yeah. I was also shocked. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like he's so sweet and then he does this aggressive thing. But it makes me think like this, you know, that he says this is how Azula does it. And it's one of those where 
sometimes kids don't understand. Like, they're still figuring out what's right and wrong and what's funny and what's not. Yep. And it might be the kind of thing where he has seen this and then is just repeating what he saw right. and thinking, oh, yeah, that was funny. And then you realize, I remember as a kid, there were things where it's like. Absolutely. And you learned later, like, oh, that actually was terrible. Or maybe doing it and seeing how his mom reacts, responds, is it okay? Is it not okay? You know, like right. getting a getting a sense from her. Right. Um but this sets up a really a, like a crucial scene to this uh, to this episode, because um, he when he after he throws the bread roll the the mother Zuko's mom sort of says well, why'd you do that and we see the mother duck swim up and bite Zuko and just like attach himself to her leg, um, and then we finally see the the mother and the duckling swim away, and Zuko says stupid turtle duck why did she do that, uh, and Zuko's mother says that's what moms are like if you mess with their babies. Hrum. They're going to bite you back. And she puts her arm around him. Um, so that's going to be a big theme, right? That's what moms are like. Mess with their babies and they're going to bite you back. So let's remember that because mm-hmm. that's going to be important. That's going to be a big theme. And as you point out, there hasn't been a lot of mothers in Avatar. Here we see a mother. Yep. Um, this is the, yeah, in this episode, we've we've met four moms already, <laughs> including yeah. the turtle duck mom. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's right? true. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, we're going to talk about doubling. Um, so let's just say uh, Lee's mom and, and Zuko's mom are, they're going to be doubles. So yep. let's pay attention to that. Or triples if we want to throw the turtle duck in there because <laughs> it, it works. Um, so we're still in flashback and we cut to another outdoor courtyard in this palace that has a fountain and a pond. And we see young Azula and young Ty Lee and they're doing cartwheels while May looks on. Uh, we see Azula trip as she tries to do her trick, and then Ty Lee sticks the landing, which is interesting because it's like the first time that we see somebody best Azula at yes. something, which is kind of great. And her response is to shove Ty Lee to the ground. <laughs> She's an unpleasant child. But realistic. Yeah. Like, you have met people like yeah. this, especially children like this, right? Um, where they are... Uh, we know that we know that Azul is a prodigy. We know that she's somebody who's held up and she just can't stand not being the best right. and doesn't know how to control it. And we'll see if she ever learns to control that or not. And maybe she doesn't. Maybe she doesn't. Um, we see Zuko and his mom walk by. Uh, and as they walk by, we see May sort of blush when she sees Zuko. Uh, and we've already heard sort of hints of this before, right? Mm-hmm. Uh and Azula notices this, uh, and then she goes over to her mom to try to make Zuko play with them. He doesn't want to, but Azula is very, we see her being very manipulative with her mother, right? She's like, we're brother and sister. It's important that we spend time together. And I mean, she just like turns on this like very innocent child affect mm-hmm. um, and and is working her mother, trying to manipulate her mother. It's probably something that her mom said to her before. Exactly, right? So their mother says, yes, you should go play with them. Um, And Azula sets up a game. And maybe you can explain this game because I was very confused. (laughs) Where they try to knock an apple off of May's head. Right. So Azula goes first and firebends and sets the apple on fire. So was the idea that you were supposed to firebend and knock it off and she lit it on fire instead? Yeah, I don't really know the goal. Azula's crazy too. So like, I don't know. Because it's like the like the arrow and the apple on someone's yeah. It's head. a William Tell situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what I don't know what they were aiming for. Yeah. I'm assuming that Azula did it, right? Yeah, yeah. 
I don't know. These are, I mean, there are strange reindeer games going on here. Yes. that Maybe you just have to be part of the Fire Nation to understand. <laughs> um, anyhow, she, she sets the sets the apple on fire. And we see Zuko run to her to try to get the flaming apple. He trips and May and Zuko fall into the pond together. And we see Azula and Ty Lee sort of uh, laughing with each other. Azula says, see, I told you it would work. And Ty Lee says, oh, they're so cute together. And May is not happy. May is May. Yes. (laughs) Um, So from here, their mother comes out with a letter from their uncle Iroh at the war front. So Iroh is at Ba Sing Se, and this is a letter he sends from the front. So I was so excited. Me too, because I don't think we ever had kind of a timeline for when Iroh was at Ba Sing Se, right? Exactly. And it always, to me, watching this episode again, like it had been so long since I'd seen it last, I was thinking that the Bossing Say situation was long before Zuko was born, or like when right. Zuko was a baby. So, how old would you say Zuko probably is in this scene? If we're just ballparking, oh, ten? Okay. I don't know. I'm so bad at guessing age. Yeah, I would but say would eight just... to ten. Eight yeah. to ten. Yeah. Yes. And Azula would be—is she just like a year younger? You think? Yeah. She can't be that much younger. So she's seven to nine. He's eight to ten. So this is. So this is not that long ago in the in the show because if Zuko's like 16 or 17 this is like six to ten years ago yeah Yeah, I mean it's pretty crazy to think about um so they so she has this letter from him and and uh so we get to hear the letter and we get to hear it in Iroh's voice so the letter starts uh if the city is as magnificent as its wall, Ba Sing Se must be something to withhold. Now, I need to say, um, a few episodes back when my brother interviewed, or we interviewed my brother, he mentioned a word that you said that he enjoyed hearing you say. The name Grand Grand. Grand Grand. I love every time Iroh says the word magnificent. Oh. He uses it a lot. I mean, he uses it once in this episode, but he uses it when they're shopping with the pirates, and he uses it a couple other times. There's something about the way that actor says the word magnificent huh. that is, it's, it is a perfect pronunciate evocative pronunciation somehow to me. I love oh, it. Oh, and he's such a good voice actor. Mm-hmm. Like, every word is great, so I'm going to listen for yeah, that. Yeah, Go back and just listen to him say the word magnificent on this episode. <laughs> Be my and, and, yeah. text tone. Um so he says, I hope you may all see it someday if we don't burn it to the ground first. Uh, and then Iroh starts to laugh. Now, it's interesting because it's like it is the Iroh we love, but he's also talking about burning a major city to the ground. Yeah, this is uh, not the soft Iroh. Right. Know. But he still seems like Iroh at the same time in some right. ways, right? So it's it's this cool shot where Iroh laughs and it dissolves into Zuko and Azula laughing. Which is interesting because here is a moment where they're together. You know, they're they're on the same page with this, which we don't often see. Uh, and then it continues, until then, enjoy these gifts. For Zuko, a pearl dagger from the general who surrendered when we broke through the outer wall. Note the inscription and the superior craftsmanship. And we see Zuko read the blade. And what does it say? Never give up without a fight. Never give up without a fight. So this is going to be another theme, mission statement. Yep. Um, that 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 comes is going to play forward for Zuko mm-hmm. uh, and is going to play a role in this episode. And it's the same dagger that he cut off his ponytail with. It is. Absolutely. So we have seen this before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we go back to the letter and it says, And for Azula, a new friend. She wears the latest fashion for Earth Kingdom girls. So it, the, the gift is this Earth Kingdom doll. Does she not kind of look like Toph, the doll? Oh, I hadn't thought of that. She totally does. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, and Azula hates it. Uh, and I don't blame her. Like, Mo, I'm usually not on board with Azula, but I get like, Zuko gets this thing, which is this very like grown up or at least aspirationally grown up gift. Yep. And Azula, if the doll is meant to be that, it is, there is definitely gender expectations in this. Yes. And it's so, but we think like, okay, let's give Iroh some credit here because the siege of Bossing Say was like 600 days, right? Mm. So that's like two years right. at least that he's been gone. So if she's seven, the last time he saw her, she was like five. Yeah. So he may not know much about her. Oh, the kid's preferences? My niece will like one thing and then six months later be like, nah, I'm, right. o- I'm over right, it. Right, right. So so if we want to give him a little credit escape, but but I, I'm, I'm okay with Azula feeling like this is not for me. Yeah, it does make me reconsider i always thought iroh would be good at giving gifts yeah so this he but but we don't know he could have been gone for the last seven years for all we know like we don't know how long he's been true he's been gone we just know that it's at least two years because of how long the siege goes um and azula says if uncle doesn't make it back from the war then dad would be next in line to be fire lord wouldn't he so this is a huge revelation. Oh, yeah. A couple things, right? Because I never knew Ira was the older brother. Same. I never knew he was heir to the throne. Yes. I I mean, I at once knew when I re- watched it, but I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. So like, so that kind of blew my mind. Yes. And then we see Azula plotting a little bit. Yeah. Like she's, what, seven or eight? That's disturbing that yeah. she thinks about succession like that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the mother's, and, and, and their mother says, Azula, we don't speak that way. It would be awful if Uncle Iroh didn't return. And besides, Fire Lord Azulon is the picture of health. Interesting. Zuko says, how would you like it if Cousin Lu Ten wanted Dad to die? Mm. So we're going to learn that Lu Ten is Iroh's son. Also that Zuko of him and Azula is the only one with empathy. Exactly. No, because it is it is really interesting that that he is seeing this through other people's eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's a, a really good point, an important point, I think. Azula says, still, I think our dad would make a much better Fire Lord than his royal tea-loving kookiness. And we see her ignite the doll on fire. I also like that line, too, because it's like, uh, there is some of Iroh back then, too. Yep. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that was really interesting. I would love to, if we don't go back to the Siege of Ba Sing Se, I would love... We always talk about other things in this world we'd love to see. Like, as much as it would be hard to watch Iroh in that, like, I would be really interested in what yeah. what the Dragon of the West is really like. And to see what, yeah, what Lu Ten is like, too, and, like, mm-hmm. what what his family was before. Because we never, we don't hear about a, a wife. Or, right, yeah. right. And, he, and so, and the other thing we see in Azula in this scene, you know, I was thinking of kind of uh, references and things like this. Like, there's a little... This is a stretch. There's a little Lady Macbeth in her, right? Ooh. Sort of plotting to be like, well, how? I mean, Lady Macbeth is how do I get my husband to become king, right? What And how do I uh, move the chess pieces around? So we see Azula thinking like that with her father. Yeah. And I mean, man, to be like eight and to think about that, but not just for her dad, but for her own gain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And this is the thing she's saying to her mother, who seems like a sweet person. <laughs> I'm wondering, like, are these conversations she's had with her dad? Oh, yeah. Like, it makes it, it sort of makes you wonder uh, about some of this stuff. So then we cut back to current day. 
did you remember we had a current day? I, I get so lost in these flashbacks. <laughs> we come back to current day. Um, we see Zuko sleeping in the hay in the barn. And we see that Lee sneaks in and takes Zuko's swords and then sneaks out. Zuko awakens. Yes. So then we go to Lee outside on the farm practicing, practicing with the swords. Uh, and I noticed he makes the exact same sounds that um, the hero Link character makes in the Nintendo game oh, Wind like Waker. Oh, like the kind of thing. Yeah, or... like like when you if you hit the sword button with him, it's there's like three or four sounds that yeah. Lee makes, and it's like, oh, they could have just lifted that out of Wind Waker. And oh. it's funny because he's swinging these swords and like cutting at the grass, which is what you do in that. Oh, too. true. So it just felt like, oh, this feels like heavily wind waker oh, I influenced just, i want to play wind waker now by the way if you've never played wind waker it is a great video game for it's the nintendo gamecube still great it still is uh so then we see uh suko appears in the dark or suko appears in the dark and he says you're holding them all wrong so lee ashamedly hands the swords back to zuko and zuko said instead of being angry zuko says keep in mind these are dual swords two halves of a single weapon don't think of them as separate because they're not. They're just two different parts of the same whole. He hands them back to Lee, who keeps practicing with them. And we see Zuko sort of nod in approval. Now, I'm projecting here. Mm. But this idea of dual swords and saying they're two parts of one whole, they're, they they work together. Yeah. Right? That. There is this part of Zuko, and, I'm, and I've seen the next episode, mm-hmm. so I know that there is this thing about, like, wanting to do things on your own versus seeing yourself as part of a yep. pair or part of a group. Yep. Um, so it's really – I, I have a feeling here, – here's here – and again, I don't know anything. I have a feeling that there is going to be a moment where I'm going to see previously on Avatar, and I'm going to see – that scene where he talks about the working together as part of a whole. And that's going to be this theme of Zuko needs to understand that he too is a dual sword. Now we need to know who his double is. And again, this is an episode with a lot of doubling. Right. And well, we hear the scene before we hear Azula say, Oh, like it's good for us to be together. So Mm -hmm. it's like, is that other pairing Azula? Well, that's what I wonder. Is it Iroh? Right. Is it Aang? Yeah, true. Like, Is it all of them? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, like, uh, this just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, oh, man. Again, and I'm not not a smart man. This is a children's show. But, like, so me picking up on foreshadowing is not me being smart. It's like, I I think, like, that just feels like like we're going to see that come back. That Absolutely. felt that felt uh mission statementy for the show like okay this is this is going to yeah, be Yeah, it's like one of those intentional choices like naming the kid Lee. It's like you don't just have him take the two swords. He could have just had the dagger or whatever. Right, exactly. So then when they're when they're walking back to the barn and sort of like their 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 night of practicing with the weapons is over, uh Lee says, "I think you'd really like my brother Sensu. He used to show me stuff like this all the time." Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but in Shane isn't there a scene where he teaches the kid to shoot a gun? Yes. Okay. Yes, so, there is. So here is our here is our Shane connection. And I I want to say that either the father or another son in Shane is dead or gone. I I think. And oh, there's uh, and there's um, in Shane, Shane and the mom kind of have a little thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, we obviously don't see that in Avatar, but you do see Zuko warm up to the mother figure. Yeah, of and the there's there. I'm trying to think how to say this. Like, I could see if if Gansu 
we're 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 out of the picture. It's like I could see Zuko standing in as a father, as an adoptive father figure. Yeah, and 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 like, yeah, I'm not gonna go any further <laughs> with that. But I did. Th- there is a scene where it feels like if they had broken into like an embrace, I would have been like, yeah, feels right. But also, yeah, yeah, ex- absolutely. <laughs> Let's move on. All right. Uh, so now we're it's it's morning at the farm. And we see a, a full-on, like, pig with antlers. You know what? It makes sense why they're all kind of with pigs, because pigs are incredibly intelligent. So, like, you might want, well, maybe on a farm you wouldn't want really intelligent animals. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I just, it, it's just, it, it's interesting because we've seen all these hybrid animals. But we haven't seen a common denominator where it's like yeah. they're all pigs and something else. Which, yes, Again, I don't know if there's an intent to that, but I find it really interesting. Yeah. So I'm I'm pro this style of farming. Um, it just it's very, it's deeply strange, and it makes me think about like where do these animals yes. come from? And it's such an interesting choice in Avatar. Um, we're going to go on an animal tangent here. <laughs> it's an interesting choice because they this is an animated show. They could just create new creatures. Mm-hmm. Instead, everything is are these sort of hybrids right Mm -hmm. and i bet the cow pig is called a cow pig Mm. which is interesting because you would never call it that you would never call a a a turtle well turtle duck you might but like ostrich horse is a if you think about it is a dumb name for that animal you should just call it a whatever a lion and a tiger is a liger yeah yeah or or but they don't have a lion or a tiger in this world (laughs) it would just be whatever you call it they don't have ostriches and horses These aren't hybrids to them. I don't think maybe they are. Yeah, true, true, Maybe there was a time when these things were merged. Mm. I don't know. I really want an encyclopedia of all of the Avatar. There probably is one. Yeah. Someone probably made one. Like a zoological book of the Avatar world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to know linguistically, like, how would they come up with these hybrids? And granted, they just, this is not what this show is about. (laughs) But but it is interesting that they call it an ostrich horse and not just a... Whatever, right? Like, like a flying bison is kind of its own thing. It's not really a hybrid, or like, right? Um, but it's got six legs. But, but that at least is like a different creature. Like, what? Yes. Like, is Appa a hybrid with something else? I don't know. He's a, and a, the dragons are just dragons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. I okay. need someone to write on this. All right. Uh, <laughs> so at any rate, <laughs> I, I uh, there it's morning on the farm. Uh, Zuko mounts his ostrich horse uh, and. Starts to ride off uh, and or, or prepares to ride off, uh, and the family's there to say goodbye. Uh, and Sela brings Zuko food for a few days. So again, they 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 have like really fostered this relationship. Um, and then we see the soldiers from before the gamblers uh, riding to the farm. And Gansu says, "What do they want?" And Zuko says, "Trouble." So good. I love the like the one word Zuko. Like he's just leaning into the I am the the Western gunfighter. Yep. Um, so we learn that the the leader of the of the gamblers of the soldiers is named Gao, and he says, "Just thought someone ought to tell you that your son's battalion got captured. You boys hear what the Fire Nation did to the last group of Earth Kingdom prisoners?" Then another soldier says, "Dressed them up in Fire Nation uniforms and put them on the front line unarmed." Way I heard it. Then they just watched. So. They take like this glee at mm. I mean, now, now these are ostensibly these are Fire Nation or excuse me, Earth 
Kingdom army soldiers. Right. And they're taking glee at the capture and presumed death of their compatriots. Yep. Um, yes. <laughs> it also made me think about, like, that's a pretty terrible end for those captives. Mm-hmm. But that's probably what Iroh did. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not think too much about Iroh as a war <laughs> criminal quite yet. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, he may have even been the one to give the order. Right. Yeah. Uh, so then we see Gao approach them, but Zuko sort of rides in between them and they have a stare down. And then Gao says, why bother rooting around in the mud with these pigs? Thought that was interesting because the, the, the pigs and the pigs. <laughs> um, and then the soldiers ride off. So it's interesting because this time they really do ride off afraid of Zuko, where Lee had said before, yeah, they basically just ran away in terror from him. It's like now they actually did. Like they're they're this is clear. It's interesting. They don't want to they don't want to fight right now. Yeah. And I'm not sure what's changed. Same. Me too. I think about it too, and I'm like, he I mean, he's still a sixteen year old boy. Right, right. But it's the one word answers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so then we from here we we uh, cut back to uh, a really quick flashback. Uh, it's Zuko and Azula, and they're playing while their mother sits by a fountain. And we see a man approach her with a message. She starts to read it and cry, uh, and then reports to her children, Iroh has lost his son. Your cousin Luten did not survive the battle. And we see Zuko look shocked. So here we have another double, because Luten is a double for Lee's brother, Sensu, mm-hmm. right? That, that, and, and so this is a flashback. We know exactly what triggers this flashback. He thinks about what would it be like to lose your son? The empathy. So, yeah. so that means that Iroh and Gansu are doubles. Mm. Again, doubles everywhere. We're like, makes sense. I was actually going to say earlier when Gansu is talking about like a man's business, his past is his own. I was like, oh, that sounds so Iroh. Yeah. Like yeah. just the wisdom in it. And exactly. Subtlety. Exactly. Um, so then we cut from here, we cut back to the farm and we see Gansu is holding Sela and Lee says, what's going to happen to my brother? And his father says, I'm going to the front. I'm going to find Sensu and bring him back. And then we see Lee run to Zuko and he says, when my dad's gone, will you stay? Again, this is, you're, this is thinking about that relationship. Like, like, will he be the surrogate father? Yeah. Um, and we'll avoid the question, will he be the surrogate husband, I guess. <laughs> um, Zuko says, no, I need to move on. Here, I want you to have this. Read the inscription. And he gives the dagger to, um, to Lee. And, and what does Lee read? Made in the Earth Kingdom. And then, and then Zuko says, no, the other one. <laughs> and it says, never give up without a fight. So we hear, we hear uh, uh, again, this mission statement. But I think it's also interesting. So that's a funny joke made in the Earth Kingdom. Right. And you had talked about this before. But it's also pretty powerful that that's what he read. Because where did this dagger come from? It came from an Earth Kingdom general who surrendered to Iroh. Mm. Right? And what happens to the troops that surrendered? They were put on and captured, put on the front line, and killed. So he's—it's like he's returning this home, saying, "This isn't. This shouldn't be mine. It should belong to you, mm-hmm. because you are a boy of the Earth Kingdom. You are made in the Earth Kingdom. Yep. What am I doing carrying this around? This belonged to to one of your generals. Let mm-hmm. me return this. So it's both a funny joke and also like 
I was pretty floored when I thought about it. Yeah. I was like, wow, that's that's pretty powerful. Seriously. Um, so here we cut uh, to a flashback of young Zuko practicing with the dagger. So he pretends to fight and die, sort of acting out a battle scene. Right. So here we see another Lee Zuko double, right? Yeah. We saw Lee practicing with the swords and I assume going to practice with the dagger. Mm-hmm. You know, we see uh, Iroh doubling with Zuko here, right? Giving, giving the it, gift. giving yep. the gift. Yep. Um, <clears throat> and then Azula is looking on and she says, why do you waste your time playing with knives? You're not even good. Zuko says, put an apple on my, on your head and we'll find out how good I am. Azula says, by the way, uncle's coming home. And Zuko asks, does that mean that he won the war? Now, I got to say, I did a a search to see how old they were relative to each other. Okay. Because there is so many times where Zuko seems so naive. Yep. And Azula seems so... um, Mature? Mature and manipulative. Yes. And And this is one of those moments where... It's like it's like Azula hears what happens, what's happening, and understands it. Right. And Zuko hears it and doesn't quite understand what it means. Right. So he's naive enough to think, oh, he's coming home. We must have won the war. And Azula's like, no, of course we didn't win the war. She's got, she's like got her dad's war general mind, and he has his mom's like empathetic. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah, I don't mean I don't mean and this is like I don't mean mature is better. Right. I just mean it's like it's like she doesn't have the um uh, he's not cynical. Right, exactly. Like she yes. has a kind of cynicism already in her. Yeah, exactly. Uh and Azula says, No, it means uncle's a quitter and a loser. Zuko says, What are you talking about? Uncle's not a quitter. Azula says, Oh yes, he is. He found out his son died and he just fell apart. A real general would stay and burn Bossing Se to the ground. This is like a seven or eight year old saying <laughs> this. Uh, burn Bossing Se to the ground, not lose the battle and come home crying. She probably is mimicking what she's heard her dad say. I'm wondering because we will see that she is somebody who is not above sneaking around listening to other conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zuko says, How do you know what he should do? He's probably just sad his only kid's gone. For for is gone forever. And we see the their mom walks in and says, Your father has requested an audience with Fire Lord Zulon. Best clothes, hurry up. And Zuko runs off. Azula says, Fire Lord Zulon, can't you just call him grandfather? He's not exactly the Fire Lord he used to be. Someone will probably end up taking his place soon. And her mother says, Young lady, not another word. What's wrong with that child? And it's just this this Lady Macbeth moment again of Mm -hmm. like, there is this plotting. And it makes me wonder, as you said, like, is she listening to her father? Is she sneaking around listening to her father's plotting? Yeah. So is she just parroting back what she knows is already going on? Right. And what we know from the mother is that he's in good health, right? Like, Mm -hmm. who knows, propaganda or whatever. But she's like, oh, no, no, he's really healthy. And here she says... You know, he's lost all of what made him great. Yeah. It's like, who is telling you that? Probably Ozai. Right, right. No, absolutely. Uh, so then we cut to the Fire Lord's throne room, still in flashback. And we see Ozai testing his children in front of his father. This is super dark. Yeah. I mean, when you think about, uh, I will say as a parent, like this just shook me to the core. This idea <laughs> of like 
basically pitting your children against each other in front of their grandfather, who's the grand emperor of everything. Who will give one approval. Yes, yeah. yes. Oh. Uh, so we hear him say, and how was it great-grandfather Sozin managed to win the Battle of Han Tui? And so we see Zuko sort of struggling with the answer, and Azula steps in and says, because even though his army was outnumbered, he cleverly calculated his advantages. The enemy was downwind, and there was a drought. Their defenses burned to a crisp in minutes. And Ozai says, correct, my dear. Now, would you show your grandfather the new moves you demonstrated to me? Can I say, I wonder if we talk about how Zuko mirrors his mom, Azula mirrors her dad. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm maybe I'm stretching this, but it seems like he's like, Ozai is chosen her already mm-hmm. and is like grooming her mm-hmm. as the younger because to him it, birth order doesn't matter obviously because he wants to be the right because he's a second son so, right yeah um it just yeah I, I wonder if like not that it matters but he probably coached her on what to say exactly in that moment about sozin absolutely i also wonder in the same way we have those dual swords i'm wondering is there a lesson here that's going to play out later on right uh, because although he was outnumbered, he cleverly calculated his advantages. Mm. And I'm just, I'm wondering like, A, does that describe Azula? Will we see that? Um, will we see, I, so I'm, I'm waiting for moments when we see people outnumbered where we know we're going to see Zuko outnumbered in this episode too. So is he also learning these lessons? Mm-hmm. So let's hold on to that, 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 that lesson and think about it when we get to the end of this episode. Um, so then we see Azula get up and she starts to do a bunch of like firebending moves and we see as uh, as she's doing it, Ozai kind of cracks a smile, right? It's the so it's almost like the this is work. I mean, if if mm-hmm. he is grooming her, he's sort of seeing okay, this is working, or he's at least a- approving of his child. Um, and we see Zuko kind of look on afraid, and Ozai says she's a true prodigy, just like her grandfather, for whom she's named. So Azula is named after Azulan, obviously. And we see Azula whisper to Zuko, you'll never catch up. So there's this idea that she's well aware of this competition she's having with her brother. Yeah. And that currently they're both also in a competition to like chase after the Avatar too. Absolutely. Uh, So then we see Zuko stand up and, and announce, I'd like to demonstrate what I've been learning. And we see Ozai's face kind of turned down at this point. We get this cut. Now, we don't ever see like his full face. We just, or when we don't at this point, we just see his mouth and we see his mouth kind of turned down at this point. Um, so Zuko does some firebending moves and Azulon looks on intently, but also seems kind of bored. Mm. And we see Zuko slip up twice and fall to the ground. And at this, Azula smiles because he's failing, you know, publicly at this point. So we see Zuko on the ground kind of crying, I've failed. And his mother comes to him and says, no, I loved watching you. That's who you are, Zuko. Someone who keeps fighting even though it's hard. Oh, I love her. Yes. She's perfect. (laughs) And let's think about that statement. Uh, We talked in Avatar Day about identity and people looking for identity and who who am I. Zuko is, in this episode, is a man without a name. Mm-hmm. Um, his identity, his honor, his throne, all of these things are tied to finding the avatar. He has this identity which has been thrust upon him that he's taken. 
But then there is somebody else saying, no, this is who you are. Mm. And this is not something that I would have, if, if you had asked me who is Zuko, I'm not sure that I would have said someone who keeps fighting even though it's hard. Yeah. But this is something that his mother projects onto him, recognizes in him, mm-hmm. is teaching him to say this is who you are. Not the external, but the internal. Think about the stuff Iroh had said about like needing to find the hope and strength within yourself. Mm. Right? So we're hearing echoes of that. that's echoing what his mother is telling him he is as well. I wonder too, this is the only episode we've had so far at least where it's Zuko by himself and we see his thoughts. I wonder if this cycle of like struggle and then thinking of his mom's voice is like what is always kind of going on in That's his That's really head. interesting, yeah. Don't you think like that his mom is so important in his memories and in his thoughts every day? Yeah, it's interesting to project this back on like like if you could go back to season one and say, I know this about Zuko. I wonder if these things are in him or or, or if he's suppressing them because if he's so singularly focused on finding the avatar and pleasing his father. Right. I mean, is it that, 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 that Lee's family, his parents are triggering these memories because I mean that something about the quest he's on has made him start to think about his mother because we see Mm. him on the horse. This is the woman that recedes into the darkness. Right. Right. That, that these are getting triggered now. Is it that they weren't before? It's something happening now that's bringing this mm. more to the fore. Maybe it is this quest for identity. Who am I yeah. now that I'm not the, you know, the the heir to the throne right. prince? And I'm I'm now, I really am banished now. I really am a man without a country. Maybe now he's starting to surface in his own quest for identity. Or maybe it's that Iroh has always been talking to him about his identity so far when we've known. And now that Iroh's voice isn't there, it's like he oh, needs to cling to something someone telling him who he is right interesting i like that um and we definitely know that iroh and his mother were not at odds she seemed very yeah. supportive of iroh uh, in all these ways yeah so we see azulon speak he says prince ozai why are you wasting my time with this pomp just tell me what you want everyone else go so we see uh, we see Azula and Zuko and their mother start to leave, but the kids hide behind the curtain so that they can listen in. I think it was Azula's idea, right? She like yeah. grabs Zuko. Yep. So that they can listen in. So this is our picture that she does like to listen to her father, her grandfather talk. Mm. And this is probably not the first time that she's found herself behind these uh, behind these curtains. Uh, and Ozai says, "Father, you must have realized." As I have, that with Lu Ten gone, Iroh's bloodline has ended. After his son's death, my dear brother abandoned the siege at Ba Sing Se. And who knows when he will return home. But I am here, father, and my children are alive. This is already really dark. Yeah. This is already super, super dark, right? That he's he's saying, uh, you know, part of the duty of of a king is to have a succession, right? Mm-hmm. And he's saying, if Iroh takes the throne, there is no succession, right? So so the death of his son is really the death of Iroh's future. Mm. It's, oh, I like hesitate to say it's practical. Right, but right. It's... Well, it's interesting because I remember uh, Kathy Nevins, one of our psychology professors, talked about um, death. Oh. Um, and she talked about like like 
the different kinds of death and the way they affect you. So she says, like, when your parents die, you lose your past, mm. right? Because there you're tied to your past. When your spouse dies, it's like you lose your presence. And it's a different kind of mourning. And when a child dies, you lose your future. Mm. So for Iroh, literally, <laughs> that's what he's that's what yeah. he's saying. is like Iroh has no future as the Fire Lord if he doesn't have a child to physically embody and represent the future of the nation. Mm. Um, that's, wow. <laughs> um, so Ozai... Uh, Ozai says this, and then we see uh, um, we see Azulon say, uh, "Say what you want." Like basically, like stop talking in circles and just say what you want. Uh, and Oz- uh, Ozai says, "Father, revoke Iroh's birthright. I am your humble servant here to serve you and our nation. Use me." Now this is really interesting because it's also worth thinking about. Iroh is going and fighting these battles as being a general. Mm. Why is Ozai at home? Yeah. Is it because he's not a good general? Yeah. Is it because true. like like he he because he's clearly not like a young man? Yeah. I wonder. That's really interesting. Or or is Ozai is this part of a bigger plot if- to say if I can get Iroh out of the picture and I can go send and I can manipulate things because he, like his daughter he can be manipulative manipulate things so Iroh is going to fight this impossible battle at Ba Sing Se and he's going to be there for years and mm-hmm. who knows I mean that that's that's the thing that even at this point Ba Sing Se still stands right so if I can go get him to do that I can then use this opportunity to be the one who is close to our father yeah. and I can work on him and maybe this is part of a much longer plan to basically steal his brother's birthright. You were saying before we recorded that there's like biblical elements in Absolutely this? right. I mean, isn't this... Uh, that Cain and Abel? Uh, well, it's Cain and... I was also thinking of Isaac and Esau, right? Or that's who I'm thinking. Yeah. yeah. You know, where 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 uh, Esau is the older brother of the twins, yeah. but Isaac fools his father into... Or, For the blessing. Or, me, yeah, yeah, exactly, right? So, yeah. So, you know, it's... it's uh, there there are this this sort of kind of biblical echoes there a little bit it's also just feels deeply shakespearean right like there's a little we talked about macbeth there's a little bit of king lear here in this uh. as well we can think i mean it's not a, it's not an exact parallel but this sort of idea of the old king thinking you know needing to think about his succession and that's a that's a huge piece of lear um so so there there are there are little elements of king lear in this as well like like this story feels deeply elevated in that way. Yeah. Now, here's what blew me away, though. So we see Ozai sort of make this play for the throne. But Azulon's response is not what I expected. He says, how dare you suggest that I betray Iroh, my firstborn, directly after the demise of his only beloved son? I think Iroh has suffered enough. But you... Your punishment has scarcely begun. And then we, we it cuts to the, the children and we see the fires um, kind of well up uh, and the brightness on, on the lights of the kids' faces, right? And we see Zuko run, but Azula continues to look on smiling at like, whatever happens. And like, um, do we think Azulon probably like hit hit him or like it, something it, physical it makes me think and this is on the previously on avatar we see the uh we don't see the agnik high but we see uh, uh we see zuko saying kind of apologizing to his father about 
speaking in Ozai's, like your your teacher is going to be suffering. Yeah. I felt echoes of your teaching is going to be suffering here. Yeah. So so this is also like a continuation, a sins of the father kind of thing. Like they they pass from generation to generation. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting that have we seen the face of Ozai yet? I don't know. I don't. Think now that so. I'm saying this, I don't think we have. So like. I wouldn't be, I, I'm not saying this is going to happen. This is not me trying to make, but like, I wouldn't be surprised if he had his own scars yeah. from something like this, because it, it, this, this feels like an echo of your teacher will be suffering. You know, it also reminds me of the first time we see Azula, which I don't know that we talked about on air, but we got an email about it. Yeah. And Jasmine I, had pointed this yes, out. Yes. I didn't tell you when we had that flashback. Uh, I think it was the Blue Spirit, maybe? No. Something from season one where Iroh's telling the story of the scar. Mm-hmm. And in the audience, you see Iroh and he's he's like uh, disturbed by watching his nephew get struck with fire and Azula standing next to him smiling. And it's like, it's so dirty that both these times when she's watching family members suffer, that she stands and watches and smiles. Right. Cause she's a sadist. I mean, that, that's <laughs> yeah. it just quite frankly, she is. Yeah. Right. Um, so then we cut to a scene of Zuko in bed, right? Zuko's bedroom, Zuko's in bed and Azula comes in singing and she's singing. Dad's going to kill you. He really is. Mm. Uh, And Zuko doesn't believe her. Azula says, fine, don't believe me, but I heard everything. Grandfather said said dad's punishment should fit his crime. You must know the pain of losing a firstborn son by sacrificing your own. She kind of does the Azula on voice there. Uh, That make you think of anything? Sacrificing yourself uh-huh, for your son. Biblical. Yeah, I mean this is this is um Abraham and Isaac, right? Yeah. You know, so so there is this you know, now we don't know that we can trust Azula, but this is what she's torturing him with, right? Zuko calls her a liar. Azula says, I'm only telling you for your own good. <laughs> That's a lie. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you could find a nice Earth Kingdom family to adopt you, right? So she's basically saying, Maybe you should run away. Is what she's saying, yes. because, like, this is coming for you. I love that he did find an Earth Kingdom family to adopt him. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, Zuko says, stop it. You're lying. Dad would never do that to me. And at this point, their mother walks in and says, your father would never do what to you? What's going on here? And we see Azula playing dumb. But her mother sort of grabs her by the hand and walks her out of the room and says, it's time for a talk. And we see Zuko start repeating to himself, Azula always lies. Azula always lies. He's like laying on his back in bed saying it to the ceiling. And that dissolves into Zuko lying on his back in a field repeating, Azula always lies. So we know that they're going to have this conversation. Now, we we don't know everything that Azula saw and heard. Mm. Um, and she's going to report something to her mother, but we don't know if it's true or not or what she reports. But we know this conversation happens. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so then we have Zuko in the field saying Azula always lies. And we see Sela ride up uh, in her cart. And she says, you have to help. It's Lee. The thugs from town came back as soon as Ganzu left. When they ordered us to give them food, Lee pulled a knife on them. I don't even know where he got a knife. Okay. Uh, <laughs> then they took him away. They told me if he's old enough to fight, he's old enough to join the army. I know we bar- barely know you, but... And Zuko sort of cuts her off and says, I'll get your son back. 
uh, and that's a commercial break. Uh, and so then we it's uh, we see the town. It, it looks like it's sunset. It's mm-hmm. The sun is setting. Zuko rides into town, and here we get just heavy Old West vibes again. Oh, absolutely. Um, we see Leah's tied up to a post of the water tower, and he sees Zuko and says, I told you he would come. We see Gao and the three soldiers prepare for fight, for the fight. Zuko dismounts, and they face each other like gunfighters. He says, let the kid go. And Gao says, who do you think you are telling us what to do? So again, Zuko has this this moment where it's like they're asking who he is, right? And Zuko says, it doesn't matter who I am, but I know who you are. You're not soldiers. You're bullies, freeloaders abusing your power, mostly over women and kids. You don't want Lee in your army. You're sick cowards messing with a family who's already lost a son to war. You're Azula, right? You're Azula and Ozai. Or you're Ozai, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just, that's exactly what I wrote. I said, aimed at Azula and Ozai uh, in my notes. I mean, think about him saying this to his father. I'm going to reread that and think about him saying this to his father. Because again, if he has, if, if Iroh's off at war, Iroh's the real soldier, right? Mm -hmm. Ozai somehow is sitting in the palace. Yep. Okay. So, so let's read this again and think about him saying this to, um, saying this to his father. Uh, I know who you are. You're not, I'm going to change the, this a little bit. You're not a soldier. You're a bully, a freeloader abusing your power, mostly over women and kids. You don't want Lee in your army. You're a sick coward messing with a family who's already lost a son to war. I mean, it, it's, it, it feels like he is working out his <laughs> father-sister issues uh, in front of the town and nobody's quite picking up on that. So Gao says to his soldiers, are you going to let this stranger stand there and insult you like this? So we see each soldier make a run at Zuko, and he dispatches them with martial arts. So not with his sword and not with firebending. Mm-hmm. I found that really interesting that he doesn't – he obviously isn't going to firebend because that would give right. give away who he is. But he doesn't even use his sword. Right. He's just like – just sort of fights them off, and they run away. I mean, to show – like to prove like you are not warriors, you are not fighters. Exactly. Uh, so then Gao takes out his hammers and Zuko takes out his swords. Uh, and Gao appears to be an earthbender because he, he he can do things with the earth that uh, <laughs> we haven't seen. Um, so he uses the hammers to sort of raise up rocks and kind of hit them at Zuko. And Zuko fights off most of them with his swords. But eventually he gets hit and Gao sort of sends Zuko flying back. Um, and we cut to a flashback of Zuko in bed at night. Uh, and we see his mother show up and she puts her hands on him and says, Zuko, please, my love, listen to me. Everything I've done, I've done to protect you. Remember this, Zuko. No matter how things may seem to change, never forget who you are. And then we see her sort of walking away into the dark. Mm. Right? So here we see the echo of the mother duck, right? The things I've done. I've done to protect you. Now, we don't know what she's done. Right. Um, but whatever she's done, she and she wants him to know that no matter how things may seem to change. Um, because we'll see that there's, there's about to be a major change mm-hmm. that happens. And then she ends this by talking about identity. Never forget who you are. Because she said, she's already told him who he is. You're somebody who keeps fighting even when it's hard. Mm-hmm. Never forget that. Never forget who you are. So then we cut back to Zuko on the ground and Gao approaches him and we see Lee whisper, get up. 
and Zuko's eyes open. He grabs his sword, hops up, and starts to spin and firebend, blowing Gao away. So we see Lee kind of looking on in awe. We see the defeated Gao ask, who are you? And this time Zuko answers. He says, my name is Zuko, son of Ursa and Fire Lord Osai. Notice he says his mom's name first. I know, I loved that. Prince of the Fire Nation and heir to the throne. We see the crowd start to murmur. And Lee looks horrified. Because remember, his dad is going to the war front. His brother is fighting in the war and has maybe died fighting against the Fire Nation. Mm -hmm. A man in the crowd yells out, liar. I've heard of you. You're not a prince. You're an outcast. Your own father burned and disowned you. So now the town turns against him too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're telling him who he is. Right. Right. This is this identity stuff. Uh, and Zuko, we see Zuko walk up to Lee to give him back the knife. But we see Stella, uh, Stella step in and say, not a step closer. Mother duck again, right? <laughs> this is what happens when you go after her child, right? Mm-hmm. She's going to bite you back. And Zuko holds out the knife. He says, it's yours. You should have it. And Lee yells, no, I hate you. So again, if we're thinking of the Shane parallel, this is is the switch that happens, right? Yep. Um, They reveal the stranger who has the dark past, but we don't ever know it. Now we see the dark past. And instead of him yelling, Shane, come back, it's no, I hate you. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's a powerful switch that gets turned here. Um, And on this, we see a flashback. Again, Zuko wakes up in bed. So it's clearly that morning after he had saw his mother in the night. And he runs out calling for his mom. And we see Azula in the hall with Zuko's dagger, Mm. which is really Mm. interesting. Mm -hmm. I don't know why she has it. I don't know what it means that she has it, but she definitely has it. And Zuko asks her where mom is. Azula says, no one knows. Interesting. And she says, oh, and last night, Grandpa passed away. Also interesting. Yes. Uh, Zuko says, not funny, Azula. You're sick, and I want my knife back now. Azula says, who's going to make me, Mom? And he grabs the knife from her. And that is loaded when she asks that, too. Yeah, yeah. Like, she, like, lingers on that question. And the fact that she's holding the knife, it's like somebody either literally or metaphorically got shivved last night. Right. Was it? Was it Azulon? Was it their mother? Yeah. Um, we don't know. Right. Uh, and does that knife play a role? We don't know. But it's 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 fraught with portent that that it's there. Um, so in the courtyard, uh, the, then it cuts to a courtyard by a fountain, and we, the same fountain we had seen um, the turtle ducks, the turtle ducks at, and we saw uh, Ursa. Um, Zuko's mother at we see Ozai standing there sort of staring so we see his back Uh, and Zuko says where is she and he doesn't turn and he says nothing and it just sort of sits there so from there we cut to Azulon's funeral and we see or hear I presume a priest I don't don't know what the language (laughs) we would use for that Uh, and he says Azulon fire lord to our nation for 23 years you were our fearless leader in the Battle of Garcay, our matchless conqueror of the Husin provinces. You were father to Iroh, father to Ozai, husband to Isla, now past, grandfather to Lu Ten, now past, grandfather of Zuko and Azula, 
And if we look closely, we see they're all there. We see Ozai and his children are there, but their mother is not there. Right. She's not there. And Iroh's not there. He says, we lay you to rest and they ignite his body. And he says, as was your dying wish, you are now succeeded by your second son. And we see Ozai crowned. And he says, hail Fire Lord Ozai. And we see Zuko looking terrified and Azula looking pleased. Like, what changed? Uh, what yeah. happened? Uh, so let's get to the end of the episode and then we can dig into that. <laughs> uh, so we cut back to the village and we see Zuko riding out of town while the displeased villagers look on. And he literally rides into the sunset, mm-hmm. you know, to finish our, with a Western trope as well. So what happened? I don't... Okay, truly? Let's think about the options, okay? Because okay. you may or may not know stuff. I so, absolutely so don't. I'm just going to think about <gasps> options, right? It could be that Ozai killed his father. Right. I mean, which would be loaded with all kinds of Shakespearean biblical, right? Right. But, like, that's... It could be that. But then why did she leave? She just left? She she, she maybe left because maybe Azula's, Azula... Um, who happen- seems like she knows stuff, revealed this, right? Right. Or, it, yeah. so that's an option. Right. Or it could be that um, Azula was telling the truth and that uh, Azulon wanted Ozai to sacrifice his son, which we know he probably would be okay with. Yeah. Um, and that Azula actually said that to her mother. So her mother either went at her father and was banished or killed um she went to azulon and said take me instead right she killed azulon and had to leave because she killed azulon to save her son right i mean there's all kinds of options that i mean i mean it could be and it could be other things as well and the last thing we know other than when she says goodbye to zuko is that she took out azula for a talk right so so we know that that she that azula said some spilled the beans presumably or right. whether it was true or not we also know that she whatever she did i think she already did at least partially she said whatever whatever i've done i've done to protect you yeah and maybe she's protecting that forward and but she also says no matter how things change so she knows that whatever she's going to do is going to have major repercussions like maybe even knows that yeah like ozai is going to be mhm crowned and- yeah so uh, it's, I mean, it is, it is amazing. Uh, yeah. Uh, so let's, uh, themes, I I want to, I want to share some of the doubles and we, we've talked about some of these already. So here's the doubling that I saw. Mm. Um, Ozai usurps his brother just as Azula is usurping hers. So we see Ozai and Azula as doubles. Zuko and Iroh are doubles as being mm. usurped and as giving the knife and as being the mentor, right? Sela, Ursa, and the 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 um, turtle duck are doubles, um, protecting their sons. Lu Ten and Sensu are doubles. Mm-hmm. Lee and Zuko are doubles. Mm-hmm. Um, potentially, Ozai and Azulon are doubles in terms of what they potentially do to their sons. Like again, yeah. I wouldn't be shocked if this spr- if he sprang into action because he had been plotting to usurp his brother and. All of a sudden, Azulon's like, no, that's not going to happen. And you're going to be punished for this. Right. That he he over, overplayed his hand in the way young Zuko maybe overplays his position and and, and suffers for that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so to that degree, potentially Ozai and Zuko are doubles. Both suffering at the hands of their father for doing that. Yeah. I mean, there is all this sort of generational fathers and sons stuff that is really interesting, you know, that that it sort of these things keep playing out. And then I think that leads then to mothers. Yeah. Right. So um, I came up with a list of all the fathers I could think of or <laughs> surrogate fathers we've seen so far. So Ozai, Teo's dad, Katara and Sokka's tad, dad, Bato of the Water Tribe is kind of a surrogate dad, mm-hmm. Haru's dad. Yue's father. Yue doesn't have a mother, but she has a father. Iro, Gyatso, like Gyatso, this. Yeah. If, if if you if, if I had said if you had asked me what this was what this story was about, I would have said this is a lot about fathers and children, fathers and yeah. sons. But this episode pivots it and says there's another there's another way to tell these stories. There's another role here mm-hmm. um, because when I looked at mothers, we have Ursa and Sela from this episode. Other mothers I could think of. We have the absent mother of. Uh, Katara and Sokka. We have Haru's mother who's trying to like keep kind of a wet blanket almost, keep him from bending, right? <laughs> yep, yep. Um, but there's not a lot. Song's mom. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But still. Yeah. yeah. Minor. And minor. minor yeah. Or like living in legend mostly. Right. And it makes me want to rewatch the show through the eyes of mothers and be like, or or the or the silence of mothers or the gaps of mothers. Yeah. You know. I mean, Grand Grand's a mother too. Yeah, uh, both a literal mother who has lost her child and a surrogate mother, but it is—it's just—it's it, very interesting that I hadn't. This is maybe just my blind spots. Like I hadn't thought a lot about mothers, and this made me think about that. Mm-hmm. I love that. Uh, we don't know their mom, Zuko's mom's name, until the very end, right? Until like he that, says it, and it's Ursa, and that like Ursa Major, Ursa Minor, like a bear, right? Mm-hmm. Like the symbol of a bear, and like a mama bear, and protecting. I love I love the name choices that they do with Lee too because like Zuko falls back he has the the memory of his mom saying don't forget who you are and it's not just him that comes to but it's Lee who's like the double mm-hmm. that whispers to him like get up and it's like it, it takes Zuko to do that on his own like it's not his mom's memory that's going to make him get up and like stand up against it but it's like him telling himself Right. When things get hard, I can keep going. Right. It's almost like those identity things are starting to kick in. <gasps> yeah. So this is this is a, a home run of an episode. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, you may have thought we've said everything there is to <laughs> say about this episode. But, Annie, we have a guest. We do. Yeah. So uh, we have Jasmine Griffin, um, who picked this episode specifically that she wanted to talk with us about. So uh, let's just go right to the interview. All right, we're joined here today with another guest. Uh, uh, we have an actual listener of the show, Jasmine Griffin, who we have not met before like five minutes ago. So we just met over Zoom. Um, nice to meet you officially, Jasmine. It's nice to meet you too, Annie, and also you, Sam. It's, <laughs> it's really good to be here. I, I feel like I'm actually on a talk show. <laughs> You, I mean, you're a celebrity status in our minds of like <laughs> the scholar we aim to be of this oh, show. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Which is to say I'm just kind of a weirdo, right? That's right. <laughs> but we're among friends. Yeah. Exactly. Um, can you tell us a little bit about like your background? And then we're really curious when you started watching Avatar, like as a kid or has it been a recent discovery or like how many times have you watched through? 
So I started watching Avatar um, when it was airing. I don't think I caught all the episodes, but I was I was pretty much a religious watcher by the time it ended. I was pretty much around the like main age bracket for it. I think I was 13 when it aired and I was just like, oh, this is great. I like the animation and the fight scenes and the, the blind earth bending girl is cool. And like Zuko's all dark and mysterious and brooding. And I was a 14 year old girl and that appealed to me. Um, and then I think I rediscovered it. I, I think it was around college age when it came on Netflix the first time. Um, and from then on, I, I can't say how many times I've rewatched it. <laughs> I, I honestly, I can't tell you. It's the one thing that I love about the show is that like, every time I come back to it, there's always something new. Like I have thoughts about it that I've, that I've formulated even as recently as like last year. Um, you're always gathering something from Avatar, and it's it's just I I pretty I'm pretty much in a constant state of either like rewatching Avatar or absorbing like Avatar adjacent content. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of, so you listen to our show, which is also <laughs> something that Sam and I are curious about because we're always thrilled when we learn more people are listening. Like, how many podcasts do you think you've, or like, how much are you consuming of Avatar outside of just like? what the creators mean, you know? Uh, oh, dude. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel almost ashamed just thinking about that question. I'd say that, I, I, I'd say that at this point, especially like during quarantine, I, I consume some avatar related content, whether it be like a podcast or a reaction or a review. People do like live blogs and like Tumblr and whatnot. Uh, I, I say it almost daily at this yeah. point. <laughs> I mean, so like, yeah, at least like half a dozen podcasts, like, like a dozen different like reaction series, you know, on YouTube, some people just like do like reactions to the show. Yeah, (laughs) a lot. I I have to ask a question. And this is totally a selfish question. But I just want to know, how did you find us? Because I've gone online and looked at there's so many avatar podcasts, things like that. Like, how did we make it onto your radar screen at some point? (laughs) So my method for finding new avatar stuff is, especially on Spotify, that's how I initially found you, is to basically um, Google a um, an episode title. I usually stick with like the avatar returns. And so I'll Google the episode title and see if anything new pops up. And then I will briefly listen to like the first episode to see if there's anybody who hasn't seen the show yet who's doing the podcast, because those I find most interesting. And then like, if I find something new, I'll try it out and see if I'll keep uh listening to it from then on yeah that's exciting (laughs) i'm glad you found us and and we are i mean you reached out to us first so uh Mm -hmm. we mentioned a couple episodes back i think that we had received an email from you talking about um zuko's zuko's time in season two as a journey right Mm -hmm. and the idea that like especially in the start of season two, I, I think it starts off kind of slow for me. Like I really love the, the last like 12 episodes of season two, but it starts off slow. And sometimes I feel like it trudges along, but the whole idea of like, it, it is a journey and like every episode is important. Um, and there's character development, both forward and backward for Zuko every single episode. Um, mm-hmm. And man, I, I have so many questions about what you wrote. <laughs> So we are currently on Zuko alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would love to know 
what part of his journey do you think he was currently in in this episode? Like, how what um, what stuck out to you either the first couple times or currently about who he is, where he's at in Zuko alone? Oh, geez, we're getting into this. Um, <laughs> so I, I think my thoughts on this episode a, a lot all kind of revolve around this uh, this metaphor that they introduce in the middle of the episode of the dual swords. I think like that metaphor is just like so interesting about like what it says about Zuko, what it says about the entire show, all that. Um, and I think Zuko in this episode in a lot of ways is kind of mirroring uh, uh, a lot of Zuko episodes that we saw in the first season, right? So in the first season, um, Zuko is is trying to be the person that his father wants him to be. He's trying to be like the perfect firebending prince, ruthless, uh, achieving goals for the Fire Nation, all that good stuff. The problem is that that's not entirely who Zuko is. He's a super empathetic person. He wants to stand up for what's right. That's how he got the scar in the first place. And so I feel like in this episode, Zuko is actually like trying to take another tactic. He's he's empathized with a lot of the people in this town that he's encountered. Um, he's forming bonds. He's leaning into that compassionate side of himself. Um, and I think what's interesting here is that in relation to this metaphor of dual swords, right? Um, on the one hand, Zuko is this like super compassionate, empathetic person. But on the other hand, he's like a firebender and a firebending prince at that. And I think what's interesting in this episode is that while he tries to lean into like his empathetic sort of compassionate side, standing up for justice, standing up for this community, it's still not entirely who he is, mm -hmm. that he is unable to win the fight in the end until he firebends, until he recognizes that he's also a firebending prince. Um, and that like by not recognizing that part of his identity, he's like weakened himself. Um, and so when I think of these dual swords in terms of Zuko, I think of like those two sides of himself and the fact that like, I, I think we as viewers and, and to some extent Iroh would want him to do more of this to like, forget about all that Fire Nation stuff. They, they hate you, they don't treat you well. Just live your life as like an Earth Kingdom refugee and just do the right thing sometimes. But like, ultimately to me, that would be like casting aside one half of this weapon that he has. And he can't do that, he'll weaken himself. And so to me, this presents Zuko's journey as one where um, instead of choosing which side he's going to go on, he has to try to find the right balance of using these two sides of his identity um, together in concert to form like one uh, kind of unifying path for himself. That's awesome. Because it, it makes me think too, like, Aang's first firebending teacher was Zhang Zhang, right? Mm -hmm. And Zhang Zhang is very much, he seems to push away that, like, one of those swords, right? Like, it's he is yeah. struggling with that too. And so, like, that wouldn't fit, you know, like, like that isn't the right kind of, of teacher, perhaps, because it's somebody who doesn't know how to balance some of the good that comes with being a firebender and then some of the more negative stuff and like figuring out what his role is right like i feel mm -hmm. like if, if zuko were to do what we want him to do maybe at this point of like you said denying everything in the fire nation then he would just be jong jong right yeah. like, i love jong yeah but <laughs> jong has some issues that he needs to work out <laughs> 
Um, yeah, and, and I think to some extent you could say that about a lot of characters where they're trying to balance these like two seemingly contradictory versions of their identity, right? Like you have Aang as this like super sweet, fun-loving kid who wants everybody to get along versus Aang as like the ultimate weapon messiah to the universe, <laughs> punisher of evil, right? <laughs> and he's trying to like marry the two into like one coherent identity. Um, yeah. Or, or even like Katara want, like wanting to fight, wanting to be a warrior of her tribe, but at the same time, like the, the ingrained gender roles and like the gendered look at healing too, something that she can specifically do. That's like a gift to her and like not wanting to do it because of the gendered aspect of it. But at the same time, knowing like that is something unique for her. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. With Katara, I like to think of, um, Katara is an interesting character because I think deep down in a weird way, Katara is just a very angry character. <laughs> right uh, she's she's of, of course like very nurturing very compassionate she cares about people she's an empath but at the same time like a lot of what she does and a lot of her um empathetic nature and a lot of the reason that she's able to give all these speeches about hope and about like fighting against the fire nation is because she's motivated by almost like a, a vengeance for her mother's death it's it's one of the first things she says whenever she meets anybody. The Fire Nation killed my mother. We can't let them do that to anybody else. Like, much more than Sokka. Yeah. And I guess she always is the first one to, like, run in and stand up for Aang, like, when uh, he's being attacked or when somebody's talking about his identity in a negative way. And she'll, she, like, she's on the... She's on the attack. Yeah, I never, I don't yeah. think of her as being yeah, I think it's, aggressive, but. Yeah, it, I think it's interesting that Katara wanted to fight. She really, really wanted to fight, mm -hmm. right? It's it, Healing was not enough for her because she wants to be that instrument of vengeance. Mm -hmm. I, I, I want to say that I think this episode leaves Zuko in an interesting place because I think by, by the end of it, I think Zuko kind of forms some of that identity that I was talking about, where he's marrying these two types, these two sides of himself, right? He's he's fighting on behalf of this kid and on behalf of this town against these like bully soldiers, but he's doing so using his fire bending with the full knowledge that like, hey, I, I'm the son of the Fire Lord, and with all the history that implies. Mm -hmm. And what I think is devastating about that, and what I think is is preventing this from being like a major like step forward for Zico is the fact that he's rejected for it mm -hmm. right like imagine struggling your whole life with your identity and like like coming to terms with it just a little bit and like announcing to the world like this is who I am and the only thing you hear back is like I hate you mm -hmm. <laughs> right <laughs> it's yeah yeah, not, not even accepting his gift or and like telling him to leave town. Right. Just complete and utter rejection. I, I'm sort of curious. I mean, I think this theme of identity is such a big thing. I've actually thoroughly enjoyed uh, in season two how much, and at the end of season one, how much we get of Sokka wrestling with the the expectations of what he's sort of absorbed about what it means to be a man, what it means, to, especially in his tribe. I mean, the first thing we see him doing in at the beginning of season one is he's training the, the little children to be soldiers. He's painting himself up to fight, but we see him 
almost always most successful when he's doing some of these other things and he has an avatar day, he gets stripped of that identity. I think I like, I, I love how um, every character gets to wrestle with this, that it's not just, you know, it'd be one thing if it was Aang and Zuko as these sort of mirrors wrestling with identity, but we see Toph wrestling with, ident- with, with mm-hmm. these dual identities, things like this. I'm curious, you said you watched this as a kid, like, were you seeing, I mean, maybe obviously not to this depth, maybe you were seeing it, but were you noticing these things or were you reading this as, were you seeing this as people wrestling with identities, even as, as a 13 year old watching this? I think as a 13 year old, maybe I, I could recognize Zuko and, and to a lesser extent, Aang wrestling with identity, but it wasn't until I was older that I saw kind of Sokka's character development and, and the, the, identity crisis they kind of put him in and and other characters as well i think Toph is it was easier for me to understand um yeah some characters were probably easier for me to understand than others but like yeah certainly not to the depth that i i kind of think of it now um i think the interesting thing about Sokka as a character the one thing i love about like his identity crisis is that they initially make him very sexist (laughs) where he's like he's obviously hurt by the fact that all the men of his tribe left without him. He's left without a male role model. And so to compensate, he's trying to be as manly as possible, but he doesn't know what that means. And so he's like relying on these like very strong gender stereotypes because he has no experience with any of that in the real world. Yeah. I also love how, he more than other characters where, where like if we're talking about Zuko and these dual identities, it's this very heavy thing. Mm -hmm. And Sokka, we get to see him as an example of, I think a lot of of our students, you know, are 18 to 22 year olds. And in that age is you are trying on identities. You're obviously, you're, you're often, this is when you move away from home, you move away from the people who knew you since you were a little kid. And you're able to say, well, well, what if I was this other person? What if I was, the person who did this or the person who did that. So I, I, I really, I find that interesting as that it's not the search for identity. Isn't just this like deep seated dark thing that we see, but it's also this opportunity to say, well, what if I was this? And I actually love in avatar day, how um, easily Sokka gave up. He's like, he lost the boomerang. So like, I guess I'm not that guy. Maybe I'm a detective. <laughs> and it's just like, and he could do that. He could do that easily. It wasn't, uh, it was this crisis, but it wasn't this thing that broke him in that way. And and so I, I've actually really enjoyed him. I also, he he brings a little bit of lightness because um, mm-hmm. uh, I'm always looking for for like where is the the humor in this too? Because even you know mm-hmm. talking to nieces and nephews who are you know eight or nine years old who love this show, and it's so it's so interesting how they're seeing some of this depth, but they're also this is also a TV show they like, you know, yeah. and, and that, that it's serving all of these purposes pretty uh, uh, seamlessly. You know, it doesn't feel like, well, now we're going to be serious over here and now we're going to be light over here. Yeah, that's one thing really interesting about Avatar, just like the mastery they have over the tone of the show and how they're able to like have very serious moments and very light moments at the same time within the same episode. And sometimes back to back, right? Like there are episodes of the show that have made me like laugh a a lot. And then like within the next couple minutes, I'm actually crying. (laughs) It's it's very interesting, like the mastery over the tone that they have. 
and the fact that like considering the subject matter it never really feels too heavy yeah exactly i mean like even thinking back to like the first couple episodes when they go to the air temple the southern air temple and like to have one scene be ang floating around on like on his ball and like like playing around in the air temple and then like the next scene dealing with skeletons of yeah. like people he had known and they can jump between those and and you're right i don't think they like linger too long on either spot i feel like they it's a really natural just like ebb and flow kind of and that and like sometimes i think they'll kind of handle like a tough subject in a, a very like lighthearted way like one of my favorite moments in the first episode actually is when um Aang and katara are, are uh, penguin sledding and she says i haven't done this since i was a kid and he says you still are a kid and i was just and as an adult that hit me like that's awful but <laughs> that's mm -hmm. katara's life that she just doesn't consider herself a child anymore yeah oh yeah it's those little things then like man like even hearing them in conversations like oh the other day i was with my sister um and and one of her mentors and she was like oh man i just i wish i would have done something when i was young and he was like you still are and it's like those little mm -hmm. things in conversations or in tv shows for kids or it's like oh that's like a phrase i will never not think of you know like that yeah. will always be something that i hope i keep going back to of like I, we are still young, we can still have fun, or whatever, all the Iroisms that there are. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's so many. Uh, <laughs> that, that quote about hope in Avatar Day is one of my favorites. Um, was it? In, in the darkest of times, hope is something you give yourself. That's the mm -hmm. meaning of Find it in yourself, yes. Yeah, it's yes. wonderful, yeah. Oh, so as somebody who's re-watches this show, I'm curious, are there... Um, are there episodes that you skip where you're like, ah, I don't, I don't feel like watching that. Or that's just one that I, that I don't go back to. I I'm trying to avoid just asking about the great divide. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious, like, are there episodes where you're like, yeah, when that one comes up in the, in the, in the watch through, I'll just jump over that. Or, or I don't, or I'm not excited to see that one again. Uh, yeah. Usually I'll skip the great divide. Um, if, it, depending on my mood, I may skip like some of the latter half of book one, but like um, like Bato of the Water Tribe, uh, the Northern Air Temple, things in there. Um, and then I, I, I'm not a huge fan of Avatar Day. I'll usually skip Avatar Day. Uh, but beyond that, there's not much that I skip. Yeah. Is there one episode that you would have like disproportionately watched? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's your go-to. So there's this episode, Zuko Alone. Um, recently, I so as as I've watched the the show over and over again, uh, my my favorite episode kind of moves around a bit, sort of migrates. Uh, Zuko Alone has been it for a while, but like I think recently I've grown to appreciate. Um, better work a lot more. I don't know if you guys have seen that one yet. I know you mentioned you saw The Chase. We, uh, I've actually just watched it this morning as we we're getting ready for our next episode. Ah. So I have seen it, yes. <laughs> yeah, better work is really, really good uh, as far as like expanding the lore and like telling you things about bending. Oh, that reminds me. I, I, Annie, have you seen the, um, when, when the show was airing initially, they did, um, like little shorts on Nickelodeon of Sifu Kisu, who's the choreographer for the show. 
Uh, and so they had four little shorts, each of them about each type of bending. And he would talk about um, which which form of, of uh, martial arts is this bending and like why the philosophy behind the martial arts and how that matches with the bending. And then he'd like do the move side by side with the show and like demonstrate like how it worked. Yeah, oh um, I'm gonna have to send a link to you guys. It's really cool. Please well, you just kind of blew my mind with something that once I heard it, it's like, well, of course, like I didn't think about this show having a choreographer, but absolutely it would, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah they had two choreographers, actually. Um, Sifu Kitsu uh, was in charge of like most of like the bending development. Uh, but I think they had another one. I forget his name. They had uh, somebody who had mastered like a rare form of martial arts to do specifically tough bending because hers is different from everyone else's, um, which I find is like a really cool detail. They also hired like a, a calligrapher for all of the, um, the the characters you see within the show. That's so cool. I didn't know any of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really cool to see like, I don't know, it's, it, it's fascinating to see like the real like martial arts like basis of a lot of the moves on the show and, and just like hearing the inspiration behind them. So yeah, I'll send you guys a link. Uh, That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I have another question, um, sort of projecting out from the, the main thrust of the show. One of the things Annie and I often talk about off air is like, Oh, what would be a story that we've encountered in the larger lore of this world that, that you would, that you would be interested in seeing either let's say a 10 episode arc of, or a movie of, or it's like something that's not the the main thrust. So for example, I, I love Kiyoshi. Like I want to see, I would love I like, a, like an eight say, episode. Yeah. This is the life of, of avatar Kiyoshi. I would, I would a thousand percent be in on that. I, I want to know so much more about Kiyoshi. I know that there's like a series of like, I think it's comics or novels about her now that I haven't read, but um, yeah, just seeing Kiyoshi like be this like no nonsense person who's just like, yeah, I killed the guy and I don't regret it and I would do it again and I'm not sorry. <laughs> right, like this giant woman who decides you know what? I'm not hiding. I'm going to dress in the most elaborate bright green robes. I'm going to paint my whole face up. I'm going to wear this gold crown and everybody's going to know the avatar's coming. <laughs> that, <laughs> is, that is so, I have never thought of her like that. And I love that to be like, especially as a tall girl, <laughs> to be like, yes, like you just live into to the what you are right like what you were mm -hmm. born as and uh don't apologize i love that i never thought of her that way yeah that's that's kind of how i think about kiyoshi especially like in the larger sort of um i guess the way avatar sort of views women and girls i think it's really interesting especially around the time that it came out um just the implication that like there can be multiple women in an action show and they can have like all sorts of personalities mm -hmm. and like and, and their relationship with femininity i think is really interesting right because in in a lot of action shows and in, in a lot of like things for adults even i think um uh, the strong woman archetype is kind of characterized as like a lack of femininity right it's just like oh i was raised by my dad and and i had brothers and, and i don't like this girly stuff because it's all bad and that's what makes me like a strong woman and I think like 
there's such a range of avatar characters and uh, female characters and, and the relationship to their femininity is like so varied and it has no implication on how strong they are. Like on one hand we have like Toph who's like very much leaning into like being kind of a tomboy and not really particularly caring about like traditionally girly things. And then we have characters like Tai Lee and Katara who are like both like very feminine archetypes, but in kind of different ways. Mm -hmm. um, I, I find that so fascinating that like Avatar kind of rejects this notion that like femininity is weakness. And, and they, they promote this notion that like all the time in, in shows, especially for kids, um, the way sexism is portrayed is like a one-off, like, oh, this person is sexist and we need to put them in their place. I feel like a lot of times Avatar kind of implies the existence of a patriarchy. And I think that's really interesting. Like there's a cultural norm here that's unfair to women. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that patriarchy can be like women can, can, yeah. No, be impacted by it so much so that they're also a part of it, like benefiting yeah. from it as well. Super interesting. So as we're getting towards the end here, are there other things about Zuko alone? Because you picked this episode specifically to want to talk about. Are there other things that, that you want to bring up uh, about this episode? Um, so one of the interesting things, other than what I said about uh, Zuko and his journey and his place in, in that journey right now, um, is sort of the structure of this episode that I think it's really interesting. Uh, you guys kind of pinpointed that like half the episode is um, kind of structured after like a traditional Western or samurai movie. Um, and I'd argue, and this is another thing that I've kind of come to recently, that the other half, that the flashbacks are kind of a murder mystery where what you're left with is who killed this guy, why and when, and with what weapon. And, and you're left with clues that are scattered throughout the, the backstory. Um, there's there's um, uh, red herrings, right? There's a list of suspects of who it could be and they all have their motive and opportunity. And then there's misdirection. It's the misdirection that I find really interesting because like in any good mystery novel, you, you wanna present your clues, but you wanna kind of direct the audience's attention away from them so that when you do the big reveal, then like the audience can go back and say like, oh, I missed that the first time. And I think the way this, this episode does misdirection is by using the other half of the episode. So what happens a couple of times in this episode is that you'll be in the flashback scene and they'll present you with a, a series of clues for the mystery. And then they'll present you with something that's relevant to the present timeline. And then we'll switch to the present timeline and they'll emphasize the present timeline information. And so I, what, what I've noticed is that with people who kind of casually view the show when this happens, is that like it basically just like memory wipes them for all the clues. It's like it basically didn't happen. So like, um, for example, near the end, uh, when Zuko's fighting uh, Gal, the soldier, um, he gets knocked on his back, we go into a flashback and Zuko's mom comes in and, and she says, uh, um, please listen, everything I've done, I've done to protect you, uh, no matter how may, things may seem to change, never forget who you are. Um, and you guys noted that like the the point about like she did something to protect him, the point about she's anticipating some changes for Zuko, like those are clues towards this mystery at the end. But what the show emphasizes is never forget who you are. And then we switch for the present timeline and it reemphasizes never forget who you are. 
And so for a lot of people who are just kind of casually watching the show, what happens is that they forget that she said anything else. And so this whole like Ursa's involvement in this whole plot is sort of like erased in their mind. And I think that's so interesting that like this dual structure of the episode, like again, we're, we're coming back to this duality um, that like the, the, the mystery plot kind of relies on the present timeline for suspense and for misdirection. Mm-hmm. And then the present timeline relies on the mystery for like context and thematic cohesion. And so they have this like weird symbiotic relationship where they're like tied together. Wow, I don't know how over a over a three person like Google Meet I can give thunderous applause, but <laughs> that blew my mind. Because again, it, it, the things the things that are most amazing are the things that once you hear it, you're like, of course that's what it is. How come? <laughs> but but you're right. You're you're a hundred percent right. The that is, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm kind of so brilliantly written that like they can have that sort of structure on top of like all that they're doing for Zuko's character and and all that they're doing for sort of the themes of the show, like all in one, just like the layers on layers on layers. Uh, that's just in this one, like 22 minute episode. Right, right. Well, that's my thought is this felt like I watched an hour long movie or two yeah. or hour and a half long movie. And it's like, somehow that was 22 minutes. And there's still stuff that I don't understand from it. But, but and that's what's so cool. I'm like, it's, it's an episode that, and I think you probably just described it. Like, how would how would a kid watch this? And they're probably not picking up on that stuff at all, or not even necessarily concerning themselves with it. And then, you know, I presume, and I don't know, I presume we're going to learn more about that at some point, you know, and that's uh, that's just really exciting. Wow, that utterly brilliant. I love that. <laughs> Now I wanna I wanna go back and like tally all the evidence, you know, like perp, like perp, right. watch through yeah. and be like, what is happening? The uh, Ursa saying all that stuff about like moms protecting their babies, and then they make sure that she notes that like the Fire Lord is in perfect health, just so that you know once he dies, yeah. that it's not because he got sick. Right, right. <laughs> It, it's crazy because I didn't even notice that until I was reading through notes for it that I took like it, you know, it like took multiple watch throughs to be like, oh, oh, yeah. that's not that doesn't add up. <laughs> you also have just justified the fact that we basically transcribe the episodes as we prepare for this. <laughs> and it's worth it because it yeah. makes you listen to everything that they say. That's really interesting. That's what I'm saying. A, a lot of people, I'd say the vast majority of the time, if you're not taking notes on everything what you'll come away with. And then what I came away with as a kid is, oh, the Fire Nation killed, the Fire Lord killed him. That's a done deal. He, he killed him in the middle of the night. That's it. <laughs> and it's just like, I did not notice any of this stuff happening in the background. It's like, yeah, I got memory wiped by the episode. <laughs> well, Jasmine, we could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. This was so delightful. Uh, maybe when we get uh, further on in season two or into season three, we could have you back on to share more thoughts. Would you be up for that? I'd be totally up for that. The, the only thing I want to note for your analysis of bitter work, because I think it's, this is important. Uh, you guys don't talk about the music much, uh, uh, but sometimes Avatar does really interesting with things with music. Um, there is one track with uh, a name that you might find interesting of Zuko alone, not Zuko alone, of Bitter Work. Uh, it's called Zuko on the Mount. Oh. 
with all the like religious implications I think yeah. that there. Oh, and you can and I bet you can pinpoint the the scene in which that that song belongs. Yeah, I think <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I love it. Just adding in that little tidbit for when you guys talk about it. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Now I'm going to look at music too. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. Um, and yeah, again, we're so delighted that you found us, that you found this show. Um, we're so delighted that we found, I should say, I'm going to use I statements. I'm so delighted that I found Avatar The Last Airbender because I got to tell you, I've seen images of Aang for the last 15 years and just been very dismissive about it. And it's like, I, I, I just really love it. And, uh, and And everybody said it gets better second half of season two. And I, and I feel like we're just, we're, we've just stepped into Oh, you liked what you saw before. Check this out. And they're just sort of showing every everything that's coming. So thank you so much, Jasmine. Sure. Thank you for having me on. I, I'm so excited to hear you guys' thoughts as, as things move forward. Well, that was great. It was great to talk with Jasmine. Maybe we can have her on if there are other episodes that she, she really I wants to. I think she to. should just sub in for me. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it would I mean, be infinitely better. You know, it's it is fun. I mean, we call this Avatar with academics, but I mean, it is fun to talk with people who are real kind of scholars of the show and think about it with that kind of depth, with that kind of narrative depth. Um, it's that's exciting, and and it's exciting for that that this show, this this you know tiny little show that we're doing, has found some of these people. Yes. And I would say, if you're listening to this, like pass it on. If there are other people you know of who love Avatar The Last Airbender, who are who love to think about it with this kind of depth, pass it on to them. You mm-hmm. know, if there's if there are um, you know websites, if there are conversation threads online or live conversation threads, Instagram, Twitter, like share Avatar with academics there because I would love I'd love to be part of a of a bigger conversation um, that I know is going on. Now I'm keeping myself from it because whenever I go to sites, it's like, oh, they don't know where I'm at, and like I'm going <laughs> to learn stuff. So like I can't engage in that stuff until I get to the end of the show. But um, but I would love I would love if 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 you're listening to this and you're part of communities like that, pass it on. If you're listening to this and want to be on the show email us we would love to talk with you we are um, so thrilled when we get emails it's the greatest thing like I, it, it is the it is the holy grail of being a <laughs> low-level podcaster like like we are is is to realize that there are actually people out there even if you just email to say i heard this episode and i enjoyed it or maybe even if i just i heard this episode and leave it at that <laughs> Because there's this, there is this sense where you feel when you're doing this, like you're kind of just talking into the void. And you know what? It if it would be worth it if it's just you and I, Annie, having this conversation. It's worth it. But if there's other people out there, let us know where you are. Let us know who you are. We would love to hear from you. Yes, Annie, this has been a doozy of an episode. It's a long episode, <laughs> but it's a great episode. But that is all the time that we have. We will be back next week with another episode and another set of interviews. Uh, for our episode, which is book two, chapter eight. The Chase. 